Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, and I am the Intern Whisperer, and today's tip of the week focuses on company culture. Today's modern workplace has been evolving at a super high pace. This has been brought about by unprecedented events such as COVID-19, all of the things of how fast technology is working, and automations. As a result, Companies worldwide have needed to adapt to a new work arrangement, such as virtual workplaces or remote working. When you have a strong company culture, it unites your remote team members in different locations or time zones. With great culture, your people maintain the camaraderie and values required to keep them moving forwards towards your shared goals. And this is all brought together by your company's singular vision and purpose. So you want to make sure that you have a vision and a purpose stated when you are onboarding, when you are recruiting, and just as a way to reinforce that message when you meet with your people. All right. So Brian, welcome to the Interim Whisperer. I'm so excited to have you as a guest on here. We know that Synapse is coming up and you're going to be able to tell us all about Synapse, but I usually kick off my show with five words that describe you and why those five words. This this is a fun question. Uh, There's a lot of different directions, a lot of different words. Uh, Number one, I would go entrepreneur. Um, and that's always just been kind of my mindset. Um, uh, even later on, uh, if we start going through my history and my background, I've always had a little bit of that entrepreneurial mindset in, in terms of how to um, uh, really buck some trends and ruffle some feathers, but in a in a good way, um, trying to think about best possible outcomes. Um, number two, most people, when they think about entrepreneurs, go to visionary, and I'm going to take it a little bit of a different direction. I'm going to go operational. Um, there's a lot of stories of entrepreneurs who were these great visionaries, and oh my God, they thought about the future. But I promise you, every single one of them did not become who they became without someone who could actually get from point A to point B and do it effectively and able to get the job done. Uh, um, there's uh, some people that I look up to, one of them, Jeff Hoffman, a great entrepreneur. And he said to me in one meeting, um, ideas are great, but execution is worshipped. So if you look at Steve Jobs, there was Steve Wozniak. If you look at Walt Disney, there was Roy Disney. And these are people who actually made what they're looking for happen. Um, number three, one that uh, I um, love to use is the word community. Um, community can be a lot of things. It can be team oriented. It can be uh, around the community. But I always feel very empowered when I'm with a community. I always feel very welcome. And it can be any type of community. Um, it, it can be the type of community where it's an innovation community. It could be around a band. It could be around a type of beverage. There, there's so many different types of communities, and it's hard to describe what one really is. But you know where you know you're in one when you're in one, um, and it's that feeling of being welcome to do what you want, say what you want and be who you are and not feeling like you have to think twice about it. And that's what always makes me very comfortable. Uh, number four is humble. Um, I'm not one that's had to stand up on a chair and say, hey, everybody look at me and get credit. Uh, I would rather keep my head down and get the work done. I know it's a little counterintuitive since I'm literally right here and in the process of doing a podcast and be talking about myself, but it's a, um, I'm, um, 
always happy to divert credit. Um, there's a quote that I really love, and it's among my top five favorites, maybe not number one, but it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. So many times egos gets in the way of success and try to really uh, help to enable that. And the last, actually, just using that word in the last sentence is enabler. Um, a lot of people really want, again, to be that credit for themselves, but I like to see a team shine. I, I like to be the person who leads from within or leads from behind. I, I don't always have to be out in front. Uh, I really like to think about an org chart and a company upside down and to say, how do I make sure that everybody is able to get their job done? And if I can do that successfully, then I think I'm having a, uh, a good day. How'd you get from school to where you are now? Uh, my my career has gone around in about 94 different directions. Um, and, and of course, the number 94 is made up, but it, it seems like that or it seems like at least that. Um, I started in my background, my bachelor's and my master's are in aerospace engineering. So I'm a rocket scientist by background. Um, it's something that I'm always very proud of. A lot of people say, well, you're not doing it now. Why do you call yourself a rocket scientist? Well, Doctors who go to seven, go to medical school and then don't practice medicine, you still call them doctors. So I'm going to go with it and stick with it because it's fun. Um, after uh, starting my career in that field, uh, I started to move up in, through the engineering ranks and into project management, program management. I got into a large scale company in 2013 into an executive training program. Um, and in that program, in the very first or second or third week of the program, I was in a training class with about 20 colleagues and 10 highly senior executives uh, in the company who are also going through this class just to audit it and to learn. And the teacher said something that seemed off. Uh, the class was in Six Sigma. And for those who don't know the background of Six Sigma, Six Sigma is all about data-driven decisions. Um, it's all about taking data to get to answers. And he got up in front and said, well, the way you get to answers uh, using Six Sigma is through guess and check. And I put my hand up just talking about the entrepreneurial mindset. And I said, that doesn't sound right. Said, what do you mean? He goes, well, or, and I said, um, well, don't you want to use the data and follow the data to help tell a story? You use data to answer a question to get you to the next question, to get you to the next question, to look at possibilities of answers and to narrow you in um, into a root cause and to what solutions can affect the outcome to help to improve upon the problem. And this conversation probably went for about 40 minutes um, and 40 minutes of back and forth with him not understanding until finally at the end, he, he looks at me and he goes, all right, well, let's have a simulation where you're going fishing and 75% of the time you go fishing, the fish are caught in the back left corner of the lake. Are you going to go there first and drop your line? My, and I said, well, let me ask a couple of questions in response. Number one is, can we assume for this simulation that you can only drop your line once? And he said, sure. And I said, all right, can we assume for the simulation that catching that fish is what you need to feed your family? And he said, sure. I said, are you still going to go do that? And he said, yes. And I said, that's great. I'm going to go to the nearest bait shop, tackle shop, dive shop. I'm going to get a fish finder, a depth finder, a mask, a snorkel, a spear gun, scuba equipment. And I'm not even going to drop my line because I'm going to spear that fish and I'm going to catch it 100% of the time. But good luck to you and your family. He <laughs> then said, let's move on. Let's take a break. And I had a senior vice president take me aside and said, you're never going to survive here. 
So what do you mean? He said, you're too willing to challenge authority. I know your heart's in the right place and you really want to have the best possible results for everybody in this class, but that's not the way this company works. In this company, when somebody who has a higher title than you says, you do, you jump, you're, you don't say why, you say how high. And that's just not how I'm wired. Uh, I'm, I'm never going to be wired in that way. And I don't want to work with people who are wired in that way, quite honestly, because when you have a really good team who's all contributing to their expertise, that's how you get really good solutions versus that's how, instead of getting just one path and seeing things through one lens, a diverse team who thinks for, based on different backgrounds and different educational uh, paths, that's really how you get to great innovation and inclusive results. And that is something that um, does not happen in a lot of places, but it does happen with startups. So immediately I said, I need an exit strategy. And so I started to launch my first company. I was doing my MBA at the time. I figured, all right, I'm getting a business degree. I should be able to start a business. Launched my first company and that thing tanked in the first six months. I did everything wrong. And I learned more in that six months than I could have learned in a lifetime of working in corporate America. Um, I, I learned about operations. I learned about execution. I learned about marketing. I learned about go-to-market. I learned about finance. I learned about uh, you name it. Um, and team. I was a one-man team and, and that's not okay. So I was able to then spin that into a software development company. It was doing okay for the first few years. Um, and, and after about two years of that, I wanted to see why it wasn't taking off even further. So I started looking into, is it me? Is it my model? Is it one of a thousand things? And one of the things I looked at is, is it the market? Um, could this market not be ripe for a company like this? Do If I want to do this, do I have to go to Silicon Valley? Do I have to go to Chicago? Do I have to go to Boston? Do I have to go to New York? Uh, and finally, I had a, um, a couple of bounces fall in my favor. Uh, I got introduced to a gentleman named Jeff Finnick. He's the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, doing a $3 billion real estate development with Bill Gates. And in the introduction, it was after a talk he gave, he talked for about one minute about this concept of building an innovation hub. Uh, and this innovation hub was something he was still doing some research on and wanted to figure out how to figure how to work on it. So I went up to him and I asked how I could help. And he gave me a card um, and I wrote him an email a couple of days later. I didn't want to seem over anxious. I didn't want to write right away. So I waited three days. I wrote him an email and within an hour, he wrote me back saying, my assistant's on copy, let's have a meeting. Within two minutes of that, the assistant wrote back to me saying, do you have an assistant for me to schedule with? And my first reaction to his email was, oh crap, now I have to actually learn what I'm talking about. My second reaction is, oh no, I'm gonna look bad that I don't have an assistant and I'm not high enough up to. And so I went into my email server through my company and almost created an email address for my wife to pretend to be my assistant, but I decided not to. I decided just to go forward and book the meeting myself and work on that and got it scheduled for about six weeks down the road, which means I had six weeks to do hardcore research to understand how innovation ecosystems work and what can be done to help to improve them and what also was going on both within the Tampa Bay market, but also in the state of Florida. And as that was starting to happen, I started to notice a couple of clear trends. One is the thriving markets all have strong connectivity. People talk to each other a lot. There's natural places to go. Number two is 
in those markets, there's really good education and not just from the university perspective, but classes or training programs or a number of other things. Um, number three was the corporations were getting involved. And number four was the news was celebrating wins. They were talking about good stories and good things happening and really promoting the communities. And none of that, zero for four, was happening in the state of Florida. Um, and, and now we're not talking that long ago. We're talking 2016, so six years ago or so. And, and that is a really big difference and a really big change from then to now. And, and so I figured there's some type of framework we could put around this. And, and in this time frame, I also met a gentleman named Mark Blumenthal who was doing the same research from an investor perspective. And we set up a 30-minute meeting, and it turned out to be about two hours on a whiteboard, where that's where we started to lay out the framework of this future nonprofit organization we call Synapse that is really here to connect, to organize, and to celebrate Florida's thriving innovation communities. And when you just think about those three words, connection, organization, and celebration, that together is a massive uphauling and a massive effort, but really three fairly simple things that if we all work together, it creates the force of a community that makes the makes everything happen. Wow, that is a really good story. It was like a roller coaster ride. I love it. I was really, I'm literally on the edge of my seat here, truly. Well, uh, everything should be a roller coaster ride. Not, nothing should ever really be a straightforward ride. And if any entrepreneur tells you they've gone through a straightforward ride from zero to a million, zero to success, they are leaving out all the hard parts. They're leaving out all the things that went wrong in, in the middle. And, and that's a disservice to stories because the stories have to go up and down and they have to have struggles and they have to be difficult. Um, otherwise, everybody would do it. Yeah. And it also doesn't make it a really good story because you can't have everything going so smooth. That's just not real. So, you you touched on uh, the, how Synapse got started, but what is Synapse right now? So Synapse is, um, as I said, a nonprofit organization um, that was built to really help make Florida the world's next great innovation community. Um, and we don't ever want to say we want to be the next Silicon Valley or the next Austin or the next anything, because A, then we're putting a ceiling on it of what we can be, but B, we're also then being comparative and we don't have the same strengths or the same weaknesses of those communities. We have other strengths, we have other weaknesses. We have one of the best economies in the world. I think it's like the 19th largest in the world if, it, uh, if Florida were a country in terms of GDP. Um, a, we have a, a high number of research universities. We have the home of special operations in the central command of the U.S. military. We have a meta center. We have blockchain hubs. We have crypto hubs. We have healthcare. We have financial technologies all across the state simulation. We have we're surrounded on three sides by bodies of water. Um, so shipping and transportation. We have some of the best entertainment in the entire world right here in our state and drawing attention to the innovation on it and really to bring people together in meaningful ways to help people propel themselves to success and avoid the failures. And that can mean a number of different things to a number of different people because everybody's journey through an innovation community is different. But by being an open and inclusive community and by being the type of community that helps people thrive and really listens to people and helps people make meaningful connections to move forward, that is a way that we can really help take people who are on one path and put them on the path they're really trying to get towards.
So then the question is, how do we do it? Because that all sounds nice and fluffy in principle, but uh, there there actually has to be activation behind it. So we do a number of things. One is via meaningful connections that we put on. One is via smaller roundtable get-togethers. One is via natural happy hours that are just no agenda, simple ways to build networks. One is through the virtual space, through corporate engagement. And then we have our events and the events are the things that we're best known for with our largest event and our flagship being the Synapse Summit that takes place once a year in Tampa, Florida. It is a statewide gathering while it takes place in Tampa. It, it had, welcomes people from Miami to Pensacola and everywhere within in the middle in terms of over 300 exhibitors, over 180 speakers, over 6,000 people. And we just have a blast. It's a ton of fun. We have a great time. It's a big party. People hug each other and we're really celebrating the state and the state's growth that's happened over these last five, six years. Our other marquee event is Synapse Orlando. Um, and we're really looking forward to that being October 21st, right in the downtown Orlando at the Dr. Phillips Center, where over 2,000 people will come and get together to um, discover what's going on in depth with innovation in Orlando. So much is happening. So much is happening behind the scenes. So many groups are creating some incredible things. And even when you think about what the uh, Orlando Economic Partnership is putting on and bringing together with the Meta Center, really drawing attention to the fact that the aspects to build the metaverse are all located or pretty much all located other than some of the crypto technologies right in the Orlando market and making Orlando a hub and a place to go is something so powerful and so meaningful. Uh, and we're really excited to bring everybody back in to really bring this community together for the third time. Mm. I am very excited because I'm going to be exhibiting there. I have gone to the Tampa one also twice, and it is really, really a good event. I've always loved going to it. So I, I, I expect you're going to have a really great turnout. Um, what is a favorite quote that you like to live by? So I live by a ton of quotes. And um, I wish I had a, a picture of this still in my old office before we moved uh, right in early 2020. Every time I heard a quote that I liked, I would just print it out on a black and white eight and a half by 11 and I uh, masking taped it up to the wall. So it became a giant collage of probably about 40 quotes by the time uh, I was done with it. And so I live by a number of them. Um, there's a quote that I have that I tell staff members on the first day that they're hired. And that's bad news is the opposite of fine wine. It doesn't get better with age. Um, I always like uh, Walt Disney's quote of... Um, it's kind of fun to do the impossible, but I, I always there's one that I do like to live by. And it goes back um, uh, again, mentioning that I did my undergrad at the University of Michigan. The football coach there, Jim Harbaugh, has a great quote that uh, reads something along the lines of if your friends aren't laughing at you, you're not trying hard enough or you're not thinking big enough. And that is so meaningful when you take a step back and think about it because it's the people who are okay thinking big and trying big and working hard and trying to do big things and pushing through the failures that people will really gravitate towards because at first you might sound crazy but people thought it was crazy when somebody said i'm going to put a thousand songs in your pocket instead of having a walkman or a cd player and somebody thought it was crazy at one point when people said 
you're going to be able to do your banking through your home personal computer. And somebody said it was crazy one time when they said, well, we need to go to the moon. And who knows what the next crazy is, but the crazy ideas sometimes are the best ones. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. One of my favorite quotes, I'll give you one and see if you know it. Nobody can make you feel inferior without your permission. I don't know that one, but that that is a really good one. And that's Eleanor um, Roosevelt. That's a really good one. Um, And always, uh, I would love to lean into that one as well, um, because there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot of negativity out in the world. It it can be a big struggle um, sometimes just in terms of navigating, but keeping that self-confidence and knowing that things may go well, things may not go well. But if you can drown out some of that noise and keep your eye on the prize and keep moving forward, sometimes it might be three steps forward and one step back. But if you don't have that fear, think about uh, the mental image of all the doors that you've had to walk through to get to where you are. And if you turn around and you look backwards and you look at those open doors, when you see a closed door in front of you, remember that you've gone through a bunch of doors before and that even if you're moving backwards, you can still get through that door in front of you. Oh, I love that analogy. I add on to that whole idea of nobody can make you feel inferior. And I go, you know, that includes yourself because that negative self-talk that we do to ourselves could be the thing that can take us down too. So you can't listen to anything that's monkey chatter. Yeah. Um, I, I There's a, you don't want to think about the monkey chatter, but I also always do encourage people, team members, people who are around me. Ask yourself in certain situations afterwards, it's okay to learn if something doesn't go well. It's not okay to sweep things under a rug and to pretend like it didn't happen. And a bad experience, um, if you have a bad experience or if you fail, is only a true failure if you don't learn anything from it. And the question that I always encourage my teams um, or people that I work with or colleagues to ask is, what could I have done better to influence the situation? Or what could I have done differently? to influence the situation. And this way you're taking that self-introspective look and knowing it might not be the final thing that you could have done differently, but maybe there was something upstream. Um, A lot of times I'll give an analogy to um, like a football game where a quarterback has a great fourth quarter and comes back and ends up losing by three points, even though they had a great ending of the game. And all people can talk about is the one missed pass in the fourth quarter that the quarterback missed or something happened and, or got unlucky, got his arm hit. Nobody's talking about the pass that was missed on second and 10, three minutes into the game that could have set the game in a whole different trajectory. And if you can't do that holistic view of what was done earlier versus what's later, then you're, um, you're doing yourself a disservice to not understand the whole wide view of how to influence results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's the hardest lesson that you had to learn? This is the key word there that changed your life and hopefully for the better. The hardest lesson that I had to learn to change my life was to get out of my own way in terms of fear. Um, there was a lot of fears that I had that I just didn't have the confidence in myself to be successful and that I was missing out on the one thing, which was to try something and to give it a shot and to see what would happen. Like when I launched that first company, even though it failed, I learned so much that it was far from a failure. Sure, on paper, but not in reality uh, of that actual company failing. And so many people are just sitting there 
either with a good idea and they don't know how to execute on it. Well, find a team member. Like think about a small step. Think about one small thing you can do that can help you get from point A to point B or go to a networking event or go to a university incubator, um, a small business development center. Take one step towards success. But the one thing I looked back, especially when I was doing in business school and I started to look at, at my life and say was, I don't want to be 80 and say, I regret not doing X. I would rather do Y and Z and fail and fall on my face than sit back and say, I really wish I would have X, Y, Z. And, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm uh, um, really, um, you know, that that was a very hard lesson for me to learn. And it took me a while and it took me a lot of time seeing other people succeed where I could have to uh, to really start to step in. Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying there. How about what are you most grateful for? Because I think those failures, those falls that we have, it's like the best thing in the world that can happen. But I'm not sure what you're going to say. I'm most grateful for a great support system around me. And, and that goes to a number of different places that that goes to the Synapse team. Um, the Synapse team is just incredible right now in terms of who is on it. Um, we have really built up this a very strong team. And I love each and every one of them for all their individualities, for all the culture that they bring, all the strength. And it's a small team. We're seven, which is the largest we've ever been. A lot of people think that we're 30 or 40 deep, um, but we are very small and mighty. And and I'm very grateful to have them around. I'm grateful to certain mentors that I have in my life, people who I can go to, people who I can bounce ideas off of, or people who will just sit me down for a, I'll, I'll call it an adult beverage and just talk and chat and we can walk through so many different things and there's complaints and there's ways to get things off of our chests and there's ways to just have good conversation. Um, and last but not least, my family. Um, I could not be doing what I'm doing today without the support of my wife, without my kids, without just who is around me and really strong motivational factors there. And especially my wife who really supports a lot of the crazy that I go through in so many different ways. And uh, it is such a good, um, such a good partner in life. Mm, you are a very, very favored and blessed man then. That's for sure. I'm a very lucky man. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a moment just to acknowledge our sponsor, Catfight Studios, and we'll be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to the second half of our show where we talk about the future of work. 2030, you're going to have to move over there in your head so that you're thinking 2030, eight years from now. Nobody knows what it's going to look like for sure. Um, But what do you think the future of work would look like? Jobs, cars, whatever you want to talk about, industries. You think we're going to be having like flying cars really, really at that point in time? I don't think we're flying cars in 2030. Um, But we're not that far away when when you think about it. I mean think about right now we're in middle to late 2022 so it's a little over seven years away go back seven years about seven and a half years and you're talking the beginning of 2015 a lot of technologies have changed 
Uh, things are different now, but they're not vastly different in those last seven and a half years. We didn't have flying cars now compared to then. Um, Uber had been around for a good six, seven years at that point and was already innovating in different ways that they were doing things. There were definitely a lot of new things coming out. I think we're going to start to see a lot more in the simulation in the metaverse space. Uh, I think people are going to really be living a little bit more and people are going to be um, figuring out what the metaverse means to them and how to balance the metaverse. And as I forget who coined this term, so I want to give credit to somebody, but uh, I'm not going to be able to on this call. The real world, which was called the mesaverse. Um, and thinking about the mesaverse versus the metaverse and how people are going to be living and how people are going to be doing things like maybe it's day to day transactions, again, like banking. Um, you know, it was done very differently back in the day where you had to go in to deposit a check and sign things. Now it's I can deposit a check using my phone um, or I can do all my check writing and my online bill pay. Um now, if I want to talk to a teller or a financial manager, could I do it through virtual and augmented reality? Um, I do see that coming into play a little bit more, kind of like when the iPhone first came out. Um, people didn't know what to do with it. Now, I don't know if you remember, but some of the most popular apps on the iPhone when it first came out were an app for flipping a coin, an mm. app that showed a lit like a candle lit, like a lighter that people would hold up at concerts um, instead of bringing a lighter, and then a lightsaber where people would swing a lightsaber and have lightsaber fights like they were in Star Wars, and it would make the noise when you swung, go, um, and, and those didn't have any real functionality. And now tell somebody how to live without their smartphone, how to live without social media access or email access or text message access on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, not a hour-to-hour, -hour, not a day-to-day, at -day, a moment-to-moment -moment basis. And... That is something that has really changed, um, and that's what's going to be figured out over these next few years about living in that metaverse, and I think that's where we're going to see the biggest changes. I actually think instead of thinking about flying cars, we're going to be thinking more about the technology that makes us not have to be in cars. I would agree with you. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about how we're supposed to have a bullet train almost like a pneumatic tube that takes us from here all the way down to Miami. I'm going, I don't know if I'd want to be traveling, you know, hundreds of miles an hour in a pneumatic tube, but maybe if it's super protected. Yeah. Well, the Hyperloop trains are very safe. Um, I've looked a lot into the technologies and you know, the future of transportation is really going into different directions. Um, supersonic flight should be coming back at some point. Um, nice. If you think about that is if uh, there's a company called Boom Aerospace and last year, I want to say, or a couple of years ago, they contracted with United Airlines for aircraft when they're done. And now they've contracted with American Airlines. So that's on the way back. And that's thinking very, you know, we haven't flown supersonic commercial jets since the Concorde retired. And that was a long time ago. Um, so that's going to be something that's going to bring things back. I don't know what's going to happen with space travel. I'm excited to watch it happen. I watched very in-depth with uh, Jared Isaacman of Shift 4 when he launched the Inspiration 4 flight with four um, non – well, they were trained astronauts at that point, but they were four civilians going to space for the first time. And that was such a big, big uh, – deal to have an all civilian space crew up in outer space for a couple of days um, 
it's a game changer for the future. And then what does it mean for the future of living? Um, these are fun questions. And the fun part is we get to experience it firsthand and we're going to get to see it. And I'm excited to be a go along for the ride. You must feel like a, a kid in a candy shop when you have your conferences because you get to see all of these types of ideas, anything that's futuristic come out there and really, it, to me, it's like being in a toy store or a candy shop. Yeah, oh, and beyond that, it's not just see it. We always encourage our exhibitors to bring immersive experiences. So you don't just see it, you also touch, you feel, you play, you, you get to be a part and you get to live it. And I love, that's one of my favorite parts is walking around and seeing people show it off. And everybody's so proud of what they're doing and what they're building. So it, it's a very fun piece. Yeah, it's got to be. Well, and again, I've been there, so I understand what it is, but I'm not the creator. You're the creator. So it's really, I think, even more fun for you, honestly. Um, what movie or book do you think forebodes what the future is going to be like? Well, it depends on um, what we define as the future, because it's funny you brought up flying cars. I would actually cheat on this one a little bit and go to a TV show if we go way down the future. And I do think the Jetsons might be a reality at some point. Yeah. Um, I, I We do see it a little bit already with some of the robots th that are happening here. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a really hard thing to say. I don't want to say like the movie of the Martian. I do think living on Mars at one point is a reality for humans. Um, but not necessarily in the way that Matt Damon was doing it in the movie, because hopefully uh, it's not problem after problem and hope getting a one in a million chance to rescue him. But yeah. uh, I, I do think that uh, the concept of living on Mars and interplanetary travel is probably not as far away as people are thinking about. Oh, I totally agree with you, because we've already had civilians go up there already. Yep. So know that, you know, granted, they have, you know, millions and billions of dollars. They can do that stuff, but it's already in play is the point. Yeah, definitely. For me, I kind of think it's going to be, I'm not sure, but I, I've been watching The Matrix all over again. I'm going, I don't know. I think it's getting there. I think it's getting there. Well, if they turn me into a battery, then hopefully at least I'll uh, give off lots of power. Maybe I'll be a, a D battery, not just a double A. <laughs> uh, that's my hope, but, uh, no, I, I mean, the matrix has some interesting dynamics to it and the way that people can live it and supplant themselves into different worlds. I think mm -hmm. that part of it becomes part of that metaverse type reality. Um, the one that I'm hopeful does not happen is something like the Truman show where people are truly being controlled by, uh, by other humans. Yeah. The decision-making process determines the, if you go right or left, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the next pandemic might be? Because I don't think it's just going to be, honestly, it's not going to be health related. I feel like it's going to be something that's either communications or it's going to be energy. Um, so first off, to anybody and everybody that had an issue with COVID who's listening to this, whether it's them, themselves, their families, my heart goes out to you. Um, it was not a good time um for a lot of people um between being at home being dis uh disparate disconnected then a lot of people had issues with uh ill or dying family members so i, I want to start with that um i actually think the next pandemic is going to be a lot more of um political issue whether it's between countries or within countries 
um, I see a lot of discord and a lot of negativity going on between just our own internal country right now and, and wish people would turn more back towards how do we work together to uh, be a United States and a united grouping of people. But uh, the reason I go to that is I think as people push towards negatives and push towards extremes, you're going to start to see people who are pulling away from things like it could be access to Internet or access to transportation or access to healthcare that will really cause more problems and more issues. And as people become more affected by it, they'll have nowhere else to turn, which will create more problems similar to a pandemic. Um, it's a big fear of mine. Uh, um, I hope it does not come true. Um, I really hope that we can find a way to figure out how to work back together again um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, robots, AI, augmented reality, anything that you can possibly think of other than those. Um, I also think holograms going back to old Star Trek. What do you think is really going to be how we how we begin to move into the metaverse? Because it's anybody's call right now. We're all shaping it. Yeah, we're, we're definitely all shaping it and we're all figuring out the usefulness of it and what can be used in the metaverse for good versus why is it just being used because it's a fun new toy. Um, but I do think that it's or it's here and it will be utilized. And again, like I will go back to that early adoption of a smartphone, even though a smartphone already existed in the BlackBerry, as to how and why people will be utilizing that type, those types of technologies. And it's going to shift and change over time. Um, but that usefulness will be there uh, sometime soon. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen the series Black Mirror? I have not. I would tell you it's on uh, Net Netflix. It's very futuristic oriented. Um, it's definitely worth a, a watch. It's provocative in how it makes you think about, you mentioned the how to use things for good as well as how it can not be used for good. I think that's the biggest takeaway of that show. Yeah, I, I look at certain innovators and, and the way people are innovating and people ask me a lot what's the definition of innovation. And a lot of times it's a novel way to solve a problem for the greater good. Um, and so I look at something like what Mark Cuban is currently doing with his prescription drug business, where his prescription drug business is all about having affordable generic prescription drugs open on the market for everybody who can access to access them. Mm -hmm. That is a true problem. It also solves multiple other problems like what is going on through the insurance business and how they are controlling the medical business and thus creating problems for doctors and limiting doctors as to what they can do. It goes on and on. And if that type of innovation can continue and maybe there is something in the metaverse for that uh, that can yes and that type of innovation, now you have um, – real systemic change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, let's see, robots. Have you seen any robots working? Because in other areas of the world, even in the United States, they are delivering food. They are, I think there's even some place, a restaurant in uh, Osceola County that's doing this. Have you seen the use of robots like in a day-to-day -day type of situation? I've had a robot waiter. It's uh where? Yeah, I had a robot deliver me food a, a couple of weeks ago. It, it was definitely a little weird at first, mm -hmm. but um, it's novel. Um, I, I think that it's, again, 
when you think about solving problems, it can solve a problem. It can solve the problem of a waiter shortage, right. waiter shortage. So that's something there. And, you know, waiters and waitresses are there. Why is there a shortage? Well, some left their jobs during the pandemic. Some were looking for higher paying jobs, whether it's in the same field or in different fields. And living wage is an issue. So right. if living wage is an issue and a restaurant can only afford X amount of dollars an hour and waiters and waitresses are looking for Y amounts of dollars an hour, which is a number greater than X, they can go look for a job in a different industry and that's perfectly okay. Now the <clears throat> restaurants have to backfill those positions, but maybe they can pay less to have some type of electronic be doing half the work and now everybody's winning. So when this robot was delivering it, was it short? Did it have all of the food inside of its body and you pull it out? Like, how did it deliver it? It had a tray. It had a tray and it rolled slowly. Okay, or it, just, well. it stopped right at the table. <clears throat> so a little bit like Roomba, but with a, a shelf on it. Yep. Yeah. And if you would have told somebody 20 years ago or 30 years ago that your floors were going to be vacuumed without somebody holding on to the vacuum, you would have been laughed at. But again, people, somebody somewhere imagined that possibility and they probably got laughed at when they said, I'm going to create a vacuum without a handle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's very true. What is the best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? Try. Don't, don't wait. Just give something a shot. If you are not sure whether to try something or whether to sit back, Give it a shot because more often than not, if you fail, you'll wind up in the same situation you're in now. And think about that of like, what's worst case scenario? If you try something and it doesn't go well and you end up in the same situation, yeah, you might embarrass yourself a little bit, but who cares? It's, mm -hmm. you can get over it and you can still, and whoever you're embarrassing yourself in front of is probably not going to remember it in any way, shape or form. But if you try and you succeed, your life can change in a better way, in a very big way. And you're giving yourself all the chance in the world. It's a free roll. It's a no-lose situation. And those don't come along very often. No, they don't. And when you try, one of the questions that somebody also said to me is, if you think it's going to matter in five years, then you already know that, like, don't worry about it. If, right. Yeah, it's not going to matter. So how can people get in touch with you? We're giving everybody your the synapseflorida.fl.com website. We're also providing your LinkedIn. And then I found your, your own personal brand website. But how would you like people to reach out to you? Uh, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I always love connections. Mention that you listened on the podcast. Um, this way I, I know I get a lot of random LinkedIn connections of people who are trying to become my financial manager, probably about 50 of those a day and another 25 yeah. people who want to do software development a day. So if <laughs> yes. you just say, Hey, I heard you on the podcast, I will happily uh, accept you send me a note, happy to write back. That was probably the best way to get in touch with me. Um, and then check out synapsefl.com and check out synapseorl.com for more information about Synapse Orlando. And I really hope to see as many of you as possible on October 21st. How about Twitter? It says the Rocket Man BK. Or follow me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter as well. Uh, uh, I like to talk sports. I like to talk about innovation and technology. Um, so you'll see a lot of that. 
um, or just random stuff and random funny thoughts of the day, week, and month. Um, occasionally, I'll talk about how there are certain innovations on cars that usually come on the left side of the steering wheel called turn signals, and I appreciate when people use them. Um, it, it's in, in case you can't tell, my humor is a little dry sometimes. Uh, for oh my god, <laughs> um, I, I I like to uh, just have some fun. Um, you only get to live once, so you may as well enjoy it. I will tell you, my dad was a mechanical engineer. He designed weapons of mass destruction, and he was also in the same field as you, you know, rocket scientist. So for me, you're very much like having a conversation with my dad, and his sense of humor is exactly as yours. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is so much fun. So I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Glad I can help for a good laugh today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and we look forward to I look forward to seeing you at Synapse. Thank you. I'll see you in Orlando. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, Ayana Sanders, and our video interns, Josue Gonzalez, Dina Burks, Lester Eccles, and Gio Vargas. Our music is by Sophie Lloyd. Would you like to have your inclusion tip of the week shared on our show? Record your inclusion tip, send your audio file to info at e4c.tech, and include your name, job role, and where you work. We will email you our intern pursuit game, Green Screens, for your next video conference call. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while skilling your people for the future. And thank you for supporting the Intern Whisper by subscribing to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channel.